When the family pulled into the parking lot, they hoped there would be more empty seats inside than there were empty parking spaces outside. Have you ever been there? Parking lot was packed, so surely the reception hall would be as well. I'm amazed sometimes we go to a restaurant and the parking lot seems to be just packed and the restaurant has four people. Not sure where they all went. They were hoping the host had catered enough for everybody. They walked toward the door, smiled at a few familiar faces. The greeters offered to take their coats so they wouldn't be in the way or dragging the floor off the back of the chairs. Hospitality was first class. Although the orchestra played softly, the family could still hear the din of plates and pans on the other side of the closed but off-swinging kitchen door. They couldn't quite smell dinner cooking, but maybe they were coming down with a cold. It was winter after all. As the ushers led them to their seats, they looked around to see the hall was packed with people just like the parking lot was packed with parked cars. They had not eaten for a few hours because the father told everybody, save your appetite for tonight. We're going to eat and we're going to eat well. The hosts were abundantly gracious and they were wealthy, so they would eat well. This meal would be one of the best they would enjoy for some time. As the servers came by to pour more water, tea, and coffee, the family munched on the soft mints professionally presented just atop the centerpiece. But that did not appease their hunger. It just made them hungrier. Soon they could hear quite the commotion coming from the kitchen. A few apron servers rushed out the door toward the parking lot, but they came back inside shaking their heads. They appeared to be looking for something or someone, but they did not find what or whom they were looking for. Two chefs, complete with chef's hats and black and white pinstriped aprons, came out of the kitchen into the reception area with worried looks on their faces. They tried to be discreet, but it was obvious they were counting the guests. One, two, three, four... What was happening? Did they not plan for this many guests? The family had never been in a setting with so much pomp and circumstance, yet apparently so little preparation. The event center had hosted events before, but never on this scale. The worry on the faces and in the body language of the chefs and servers was clear. One of the servers hurried to the man with a microphone and whispered something to him. Soon all the kitchen staff reassembled back in the kitchen. The master of ceremonies announced calmly, Dinner is served. The chef emerged again from the kitchen carrying a stainless serving platter. He placed it carefully on the food table, lifted the dome, and everyone gasped. There was one lonely lunchable on the serving platter. The master of ceremonies swallowed hard and softly spoke to the hundreds in the hall. Enjoy. That would be a disaster. Well, I'm going to share with you a story not much different but with a much different ending right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Hey, good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your happy-to-be-your-host host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Hopefully, you're about to go to a service where you're going to hear this lesson taught, or you just came from one where you heard this lesson taught. And this episode is entitled, Feeding a City with a Sack Lunch. And it comes from John chapter 6, Verse number 14, and it's a little bit of a spoiler, but it reads, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, 
that a prophet should come into the world. Okay, here's the story. Over 5,000 men gathered on the mountainside to hear what Jesus would say and see what he would do. Women, wives, sisters, mothers, daughters, and children all came for Jesus' words and wonders, which swelled the crowd count to around uh, 15,000 people. The city where I used to live, Mount Vernon, Ohio, hey, Mount Vernon, was around 17,000 people. So that's an entire city. And they listened as Jesus taught. The crowd was hungry for the word of God, and because they had been there so long, they were also hungry for dinner. The disciples saw that as the people's problem, not Jesus' problem. Has anybody ever told you that before? Okay, that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem, so work it out. Well, that's how the disciples felt. If the crowd wants to eat, go home and eat. We're not stopping you. But Jesus saw this opportunity as a time to test his followers' faith and raise the crowd's faith. Jesus looked over at his number cruncher, Philip. Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And John, who recorded this miracle in the gospel, added this little footnote for those of us who were not there. This he did to prove him, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he would do. Jesus had to hold back a wry smile because he knows he's about to multiply a lunchable and feed a city. But Philip didn't know that. Philip just worked the math in his mind, and he gave Jesus a bottom-line number. Okay, let's see. We've got around 15,000 to 20,000 people, give or take. And, okay, let's see. Okay, here's what we need, Jesus. 200 penny worth of bread. That's what we need. And you know what? We need more than that. That's not even sufficient. That's just a lot for us right now. We can't afford it. We don't have it. But if we had it, we still couldn't feed them. Every one of them could take a little. It's not enough. And Philip was so worried. Here's what he was saying in today's terms. I'm counting thousands of people here, Jesus. Thousands. I didn't invite them. Did you? I didn't. Did you? Did you, Andrew? Who invited these people? How did they know we were coming? We don't have the money to feed all these people. It's going to take 200 penny worth. Jesus, I need you to hear this. That's eight months of paychecks. And everybody gets a crust of bread. Nobody gets filled up. Everybody's upset. They're angry with us. How are we going to make this work? And while Philip worried, Jesus grinned. And Andrew answered, I've got a lad here. He's got five barley loaves. He's got two small fishes. And then John recorded faith-filled Andrew's faithless moment. But what is this among so many? Even Andrew couldn't make the math work. Some of the kids today say the math ain't mathin'. He couldn't make the recipes work. So let's take our focus off Philip and Andrew for a moment and back to Jesus, always the right place to look. He is not worried. Concerned? Sure. Did he care? You bet. Worried? Not even a little. So let me ask you this. Why do we worry so much when we know Jesus is able to meet all our needs? The disciples didn't have eight months' worth of paychecks stored up. They had been following Jesus for the last eight months. They didn't have paychecks. They didn't even have pay stubs. But they did have a little lunch of five barley loaves and two small fish. A couple of the disciples may have sighed, Barley loaves? Come on, that's for the poorest of the poor. Don't you have any Pillsbury Crescent Rolls in there? No? All right, well, let's see what Jesus can do with these sad ingredients. He's a dynamic teacher and wonder worker, but he's no chef. We'll see. They had a bag of bread and fish and a bakery load of doubt. Jesus held the five barley loaves and two small fish in his hands, 
and he commanded the disciples, Make the men sit down. Everyone was seated and grouped into hundreds and fifties. As the disciples counted, they realized the number of the great multitude was greater than they originally thought. And Jesus held up the barley loaves and fish, lifted his eyes to heaven, and gave thanks. Not for what he wished he had, but for what he did have. Here's another question. What would you have thought if you were in the crowd and saw Jesus give thanks for such a little lunch to feed such a massive multitude? Now here's an application. Before you enjoy your next meal, remember to give God thanks. At mealtime, the head of each Jewish family looked up to heaven, gave thanks, and distributed bread for the meal. One of the most common mealtime prayers was, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Jesus was acting as the father of this whole crowd. That's a lot of kids. His next act revealed he was not just acting as their father. Jesus really was their heavenly father who brings forth bread. Jesus broke the bread and kept creating more and more to meet their needs. Then he gave the lunch to the disciples and told them to feed the crowd. Jesus broke the bread while the disciples served it. And we can hear the disciples' thoughts between the black and white print on the page. (laughs) This isn't going to last. The first disciple may have served his first lunch with a side of advice. Hey, you guys, you know, share this food. I know it's not a lot. I'm sorry. We, we didn't expect this many people to come, and we thought the caterer would have better preparation. But chew slowly. Out of the corner of his eye, he may have seen other disciples serving other groups and wondered, Oh, wait a minute. Where did, where did those guys get more bread? When the disciple returned to Jesus, Jesus handed him more bread and fish. So, okay, hang on. Hang on, wait a minute, Jesus. Did did somebody else bring you bread? I mean, we we started off with five barley loaves, poor, poor, poor bread, and two small fish. So I've served that to my group, and where's Nathaniel and Thomas, and where did they get their bread? And the disciple just held out his hands, and Jesus put more bread and more fish in his hands to feed to more people. And he served another family with a a side of different advice. Hey, you know, you guys go ahead, take some bigger bites. We must have found more food. They didn't know exactly what was happening because they were busy serving while Jesus was busy working a wonder. The other disciples were taking bread and fish to their groups and returning to Jesus for more. And each time Jesus gave them more to feed the hungry families and the crowd could hear Jesus' followers laugh and say, Eat up, guys! We got plenty! Fill her up, boss! After a long time of going group to group, the disciples circled back around to the groups they had already served and everybody was full. People just shook their heads and held their stomachs whenever the bread and fish baskets came by. Nobody wanted any more. You've ever been to a restaurant before when you're just so stuffed, and here came the server with a dessert tray? Well, we have tiramisu, and we have turtle cheesecake, and we also have chocolate devil's food cake. Would you like any? And you just hold your stomach and make a joke about having to have a wheelbarrow to take you out to your car. That's where they were. Nobody wanted another bite. Jesus fed thousands of people, including growing teenagers, by the way, with a poor boy's bread and two small fish. And the disciples carried home 12 take-home baskets. What miracle have you seen God do when he had so little to start with? Well, I would love to hear what miracles you have seen in your life 
Reach out to me. I want to hear the miracles you have seen in your life. When God had little to start with, and yet he worked a miracle, you can reach out through our Facebook page. You just look for God's Word for Life and send me a message through that. Or you can email me at lharry at upci.org. I want to hear the miracles you have seen. Well, this miracle started when Andrew looked around to see what he could offer Jesus. It would not have happened the way Scripture records if the lad who he found would not have been willing to give his lunch to Jesus to be multiplied. And the multitude may have not enjoyed Jesus' wonder bread if the disciples were not willing to serve the multitude. God could have opened the heavens and poured down manna for this multitude like he did for the one in the wilderness. And he did do that for them in the wilderness. But thankfully, you and I should be thankful. He chose to involve people in the process. And thankfully, people chose to be available to God. We know it. He's God. He could heal everyone of every sickness with just his word. But we should be thankful he chooses to use our prayers to make a difference. Let's be available to God to use our prayers, to use our faith, to use our fervor, to use our compassion to minister to people's needs. The next time you're in service and somebody needs something from God, rather than just pray a silent prayer for them or just, you know, God, take care of it, you can do it. Be available to him. Allow him to use your voice, your hands to lay hands on somebody and believe that God will work a miracle for them just like he promised he would. Let's be available. Let's be available for God to use us to give in a way that glorifies him. Maybe God gave you a raise or a bonus. And if he did, hey, congratulations. All right. But it was not just so you could buy bigger, newer, nicer, but could be so you could support a missionary who feels called of God to share the gospel with people who have never heard of the gospel. God could rain down money. I know it doesn't grow on trees, but if he wanted to, he could grow a money tree and he could keep it growing. But God uses our offerings and generosity to meet the needs of his people. Just like God used Andrew, the lad and the disciples. God uses us. I want to give a shout out to my former pastor in Florida, Pastor Bill Hobson, who preached a message way back in Florida called an offering from among us. When God was planning the tabernacle, he could have just told everybody in Israel, watch this. And he could have rained down silver and gold on Israel who collected it in baskets and took it and bought all the material for the tabernacle. But instead, he asked his people Would you bring together what I have given you and give it back to me for my glory? God does that through us. I want to share with you a treat from our resource kit that is the testimony of Tanya Schwartz, who shares her own stories about how God has provided, much like he did on that mountainside for that crowd who needed food, how God has also provided for her and her family. Enjoy. There are so many occasions that I could tell you about how God has provided in a time of need. As a single mother of two girls, there were some difficult times, but God has always met our needs. In many of these instances, He has used others to help me when I needed it. Groceries were brought to our doorstep. Mysteriously, my girls' registration for kids camp, youth camp would be taken care of, gift cards to restaurants, gas money. He always provided. Then there are times when he helps us, but at that same time, he requires some action on our part. In some cases, he provides a job or opportunity to use gifts and talents that he has given us, which in return will help give us what we need. 
I was raised on the mission field in a Spanish-speaking country. I adapted very well, picked up the language quickly, and after high school, I went to the university in Costa Rica and received my degree in bilingual education. After that, I taught for several years in a bilingual school there. Long story short, here I am back in the United States. But as I mentioned before, there were some difficult times. Life hit some with major twists and turns, but God used others to bless us in so many ways and He continues to do so. But there were moments He did not just drop the blessing at my feet, yet still when I wasn't quite sure how He would make it, God opened many doors for me to use the talents He gave me. I was going to have to put in some work, but He was still providing. He has given me many opportunities to use my skills for His kingdom. Not only has this met my fun financial needs, but also give me the opportunity to bless others. Sure, it'd be a lot easier if the money would just fall from the sky. It would certainly be a lot less work. Even though I might have a need, I still must make myself available for Jesus to use. Moments like these have helped grow my faith as I learned to completely lean and trust on God. He's never failed me. So when I find myself once again in a time of need, whether it be financial, emotional, or physical, I can remember the times that He has been faithful and know that He continues to be. No matter how He chooses to provide, He is my Jehovah Jireh. Praise God for His provision. That voice was Tanya Schwartz, and that was from our resource kit, which you can pick up at PentecostalPublishing.com. Every lesson comes with a video that provides a testimony or maybe just a deeper look into that Bible passage or could be a custom or something that will help as you learn or teach this lesson. And back to our episode, already in progress. The rumors were really true. Jesus really did work miracles. Everyone in that mountainside multitude who witnessed what happened realized Jesus was not just a man. He was a miracle worker. He was a prophet. He might even be the Messiah. They got more animated and excited as the minutes ticked away. Jesus knew human nature. He knew what people were thinking. They were about to crown him as their king. They'd been waiting. They'd been praying for Messiah to come, and finally it would appear that he had come. Some of the men cried out, This is of a truth of the prophet has come into the world. He is the prophet the prophets prophesied was coming. The crowd's response made sense. Who would not want to crowd Jesus king after what they had just witnessed? If Jesus could multiply bread and fish to feed a city, what else could he do? Could he wage war with the formidable Roman army and win? They were willing to risk their lives and his to find out. Crowning Jesus king was signaling revolt against Rome, but they were sure this revolt was worth the risk, at least with this man. They might have even thought back to the scroll of Deuteronomy, when the Lord prophesied to Moses that I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. So they were half right. They were right about his identity. He was Messiah. But they were wrong about his mission. Jesus did not come to defeat the Romans. Jesus came to defeat sin. Jesus was not flattered that they were fitting him for a crown because he did not come from heaven to earth just to set up a kingdom to lead a revolt against Rome. Luke succinctly, beautifully inspired recorded Jesus' mission statement to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to save our souls and his purpose has not changed. 
he is still seeking and saving the lost. He can work every wonder. Make no mistake, he can empty every hospital. He can fill every bank account. But he doesn't just want to give us a more cush life. He wants to bring us eternal life. One day, every crooked limb will be straight and every cancer will be healed. And even death will bow its grisly knee to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what will really matter on that day is that our souls are right with God. Every one of the men, women, and children in that multitude eventually died, still under Roman rule. But even the Roman rulers who governed them died as well. But their battle is still our battle. We don't fight with Rome, but we do fight with sin. We must realize Jesus' true mission is seeking and saving that which was lost. Let me ask you a pretty sobering question. How would you live differently if you were constantly thinking of eternity? Let's talk about that day. On that day, we will have the holy honor of crowning Jesus as king, not just of a nation or a people. We will crown him as king of kings and lord of lords. The Lord, every Lord bows to. The king, every king bows to. We will worship Jesus for who he is, not just what he does. We don't just worship him because he can multiply bread and fish or he can heal cancer or he can empty a hospital or he can fill up our bank account. We worship him because of who he is. But if our devotion hinges on Jesus working miracles for us every time we make our request, then he's not really Lord. And we will be disappointed and disillusioned with God because he did not do everything we wanted when we wanted. If Jesus did everything we wanted when we wanted it, he would not be Lord. We would. But if he is Lord, Jesus can say yes, no, or not yet. And we will still worship him because of who he is, not just what he does. Jesus is Lord, not us. When Jesus realized the people were going to try to make him king, he left the crowd as he instructed his disciples to board a boat. He would meet up with them after he climbed another mountain to pray. And perhaps as Jesus walked up that mountain, his mind looked ahead three years to another mountain he would one day climb. That future mountain he knew he would climb since the day he called out into the darkness, let there be light and there was light is the mountain where he would one day call out into even deeper darkness. It is finished, and it would be. Last question. Do you worship Jesus because of who he is or because of what he does for you? And would you still worship him if he never works another miracle for you? Okay, we wrap this up. For years, very, very few people knew what Larry Stewart really did for his city. Later, all of Kansas City knew him as Secret Santa. As the carolers began to sing, Larry bundled up his $100 bills and gave them away in places like diners and laundromats as gifts to people he thought needed help at Christmas time. But decades earlier, Larry himself was homeless and hungry. He strode into Houston, Mississippi and into Dixie Diner in 1971, ordered the biggest breakfast on the menu, intending to sneak out before the bill came. But Ted Horn... Ah, this was not his first day at the diner. He owned the diner. He'd been running it long enough to see the signs. He knew this drifter in the diner was about to dine and dash. He could see it from a furlong away. Ted walked up behind Larry Stewart, handed him a $20 bill, and said, I think you dropped this. And that simple, single act of kindness changed Larry's life. He moved on. He started working, but for two years in a row, he lost his job just before Christmas. 
Larry was in a warm restaurant on a cold day, wondering and worrying how he would make it when he noticed a car hop taking food to customers in their cars. This was back in the day. The customers were cozy in their cars, but the car hop was freezing. And for a moment, Larry forgot about his worries, and he gave the car hop as much change as he could to help her, and she cried because of his kindness. Larry vowed if he ever struck it rich, he would return the favor of Ted, the owner of the Dixie Diner. And one day, Larry struck it rich, and he did keep his word, and he did return Ted Horn's favor. Before Larry finished his battle with cancer, Kansas City's secret Santa gave away over $1 million to the poor and the hungry at Christmas time. He even went back and visited the owner of Dixie Diner and gave him $10,000 because of Ted's kindness years earlier. Compassion for the hungry and hurting moved Larry to give away what belonged to him to bless somebody else. Compassion for the hungry caused Jesus to stay with a multitude when he preferred to rest. And compassion coupled with the power of Almighty God caused Jesus to multiply five barley loaves and two small fish to feed a whole city of hungry and hurting people. Thank God he still moved with compassion toward us. We might not need loaves and fish, but we do need healing or forgiveness or salvation or deliverance or enough money to pay the bills so we don't lose our home. Whatever needs we bring to the hillside, Jesus is able to meet them because he has all power in heaven and in earth. And Jesus is willing to meet our needs because he still provides for his people when he is moved with compassion. Let's pray to have faith that Jesus can work any miracles we need. And let's trust that he is good whether or not he works those miracles. He's still good and he is still God. Oh, we love you, Jesus. You are so good. Oh, you're so good to us, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. For every miracle you have worked, we thank you. And I know you're able, I believe you're able to work any miracle, any wonder. God, nothing is too hard for you to do. Neither is anything too easy for you to do. No miracle too great, no miracle too small. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. And now today we trust you. You'll do what's best. We trust you whether you work the miracles we pray for or not. We trust you. You are Lord, we are not. And we put our faith and our confidence and hope wholly in you. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to subscribe and follow and click the like button, the notify button, and that way you'll never miss an episode. And then share with others who need to hear this God's Word for Life companion podcast. Be a blessing and share it with them as well. Also, while you're at it, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com and pick up the God's Word for Life resources. We've got leader's guides daily devotional guides, both for adult and youth. And then we have resource kits for both. We also have we have the leader's guide, the resource kit, the devotional and activity pages. All of that goodness, you can get it at pentecostalpublishing.com. Just look for God's Word for Life or for Curriculum there on that homepage. And if you use promo code GWFL10, you can get 10% off your order except for Curriculum. So just go there, use GWFL10, get 10% off Bibles, Bible studies, books, music, you name it. We've got it pentecostalpublishing.com. Next week, we continue this series, The Bread of Life, and we continue walking through John 5 and 6. And I want to share with you an episode called Walking on Water. Only two people ever walked on water, and those two people are, 
Well, you'll find out next week. I'm looking forward to sharing that episode with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at pentecostalpublishing.com.